Welcome to another episode of the Winner Winner PUBG podcast. This is episode 36, where we dive straight into the juicy bowels of the game that you know as PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. I am one of your hosts, Arjuna. <laughs> and I am the number two host, Robin. And for your listening pleasure, we have brought in a surprise third this week in the form of. Uh, hey guys, my name is <laughs> Beautiful entrance. Yeah. Beautiful. Right. What's up, Soko? So um, for any of you guys who don't know Sokola, there's probably not that many of you. He is a mod in our community, and he's also just a dope streamer and definitely one of the best PUBG players that I have personally played with. Um, so, you know, Soko, love your stuff. We've want, been wanting to get you on the show for a while now, and I think... This week is a really good time, so stoked to have you here, man. Glad to be here. Loving to talk about all the topics we have today. Nice. All right, so today um, we are going to be focusing on PGI Berlin, which is this recent PUBG Invitational tournament that they threw, which famously had a $2 million prize pool. And of course, you know, if you've been playing PUBG for the last month, then you've seen all of the paraphernalia for this everywhere. It's like back of the plane, in the lobby, PGI everywhere. So, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, Robin, are you glad it's finally over? PGI, I, it, you know, it came and went. I hardly noticed, I, except for the billboards <laughs> in the game. Um, I, at, toward the end, I was kind of hoping I might bring some enjoyment out of it. And it was kind of a passing curiosity, I will say. Okay. Yeah. I okay. look forward to hearing more about it because I know, Soko, you follow this stuff more. Um, I watched a little bit of it myself. And yeah, just kind of wondering where this will go. The whole um, professional gaming tournament spectating aspect of it. Yeah. Well, yes, I know. Stoked to have you, Soko. I know Robin and I don't, we don't follow this very closely. Um, I feel like I dip my toe in from time to time. And I've definitely been wanting to, and it's just kind of a, like, I'll check it out and I won't find it that entertaining. And then I'll come back to it a little bit later and just kind of keep my finger on the pulse of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like this was the first tournament where I really started to pay some attention to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, stoked to talk about that. Um, so let's just jump right into it, gents. But before we hit on PGI... Um, you know, we actually, there's a, a PUBG PC patch 19 was just released. So we're going to touch on that briefly. And of course, we have some usual uh, matters of business to attend to in the form of our Patreon segment. So wanted to give a shout out this week to Cody. Thank you so much for being a new patron, Cody. And um, Cody has, uh, no, sorry. Dallas Cowboy, another one of our recent patrons, has a question of the week. Do you want to read that, Robin? Yeah. So he's asking, what are your thoughts on pushing the edge of Circle on Sonic? Is that the only way to win? For example, I am constantly sworn by multiple teams when pushing anywhere past the edge of Blue Zone. So, so but like basically edge play versus center play okay. is what he's getting at. 
I think he's also kind of talking about like the pie slice of the circle. Like you push on that very far edge, maybe maybe the slower, slower side as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. thoughts on pushing that maybe versus the other edges, like mm. the farther edges? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, one one of the things that I'm still trying to figure out on Sandhawk is how this dynamic circle works. Um, I, I haven't come to any, like, aha moments about it yet, but mm-hmm. I've definitely noticed that it does feel different. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it's less predictable for me. Yeah, I feel like the end circles, they sometimes come much more quickly than I expect. Mm. And they also move fairly quickly sometimes. And yeah. so, yeah, that's it sometimes catches me off guard still. Yeah, and I've also noticed it feels like they chunk harder faster, but I mm. think that's just because the whole game is faster, yeah. you know? So, like, they're probably chunking at about the same rate they do on the other maps. It's just that I'm used to, you know, like, I'm used to being, like, 20 minutes into a game and the circle's still not that chunky, mm-hmm. right? And on Sandhawk, it's, like, it's it's a killing circle at that mm-hmm. point. I'm, so. I'm at, yeah, I'm, kind of, I'm really glad he asked this question because lately I've been getting caught off guard on the edge of the circle a lot. Mm. Um, like when he mentions being swarmed by multiple teams when pushing anywhere past the edge of blue zone, I kind of, I, I definitely identify with that where sometimes I'll we'll, we'll kind of clear an edge and then we'll start pushing in and then we'll still get flanked from behind somehow. This has happened yeah. to me multiple times recently. And I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> so one thing I've definitely noticed from like my personal experience on Sandox so far, and this is definitely, I think it has been, even when the game was like, or when the map was like first in beta, kind of, mm-hmm. um, people just, very aggressive play. Yeah. Um, it's almost becoming like the game that we do not speak of-ish, right? Where people are looking for less of the tactical gameplay. Mm-hmm. And more of a just quick, you know, okay, I'm going for those kills. We're going for those kills. Oh, we hear shots. Let's let's go over that ridge. They're just over there. Let's chase them. Mm-hmm. And that can kind of lead to, uh, you know, you get swarmed. Mm-hmm. Just like in the question, because today I was playing Sandok on uh, my stream, and uh, we ended up dying, right? Mm-hmm. I look at the death cam, and there's seven other teams just within that little box Oof. in the corner of my screen. Oh, damn, dude. And I'm like, oh, wow. Well, that's, you know, kind of right <laughs> the reason we got died, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think we're going to fight off seven teams Yeah, mm-hmm. um, when they're right in the middle of them. So it can kind of create that uh, issue sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. I think part of what compounds it is just that everyone's closer to each other. So like on Miramar, for example, you'll hear shots in the distance, and that in the distance is like 500 meters away, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like on Sandhawk, a lot of times the shots in the distance are like 200 meters away. And, you know, so there's just that that kind of immediate impulse of like, oh, let's go fuck them up. It, I just feel like you get that a lot more on Sandhawk than you do on the bigger maps. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like the terrain, It's just, it seems like there's more cover in general. It seems like... You know, I have less moments where I think like, oh, I'd like to go check that out, but it's going to be really disadvantageous to do so, mm. right? Mm. Um, which I feel on on both of the other maps quite a lot. You know, like, oh, yeah, it could be cool to like check out that firefight, but I'm going to have to cross that plane, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I just, it just sounds like a hassle. It sounds dangerous. Right. You know, it's something I've been doing a lot of lately is if I hear a fight that's within 200 meters, I'll definitely go try to pick up the scraps. 
and I'll try to find a safe observation point and wait for them to kind of finish most of each other off and then swoop in and finish everybody. <laughs> and sometimes that works, but sometimes you end up meeting other people who are on the way there as well. And it just gets hairy really fast. And so I'm kind of trying to, I like this question because I, I find that my circle meta isn't the greatest lately. Like I'm not really finding consistent successful strategies in terms of how to deal particularly with late circles, um, which is when everybody's kind of getting pushed together. And I think a rule I'm, I'm coming up with now is it makes sense to engage a fight that's near you if it's on the outside of the circle behind you. Um, just because there's fewer variables there. Um, and you don't want those people coming in for a flank on you when the circle decreases in size and you're having to deal with the people in front of you and them on your flank. Mm -hmm. And so that seems to me like a threat you need to eliminate as opposed to people you can ignore who are in the middle. But I don't know. I don't know. Some part of me wants to just like bush camp here too, which I never try in Sonic. I wonder if it even works. <laughs> yeah. You I know, think the bushes are a little too scrubby for that. They're, <laughs> they're like big, but I, there's, there's kind of like too holes. Open. I don't know. Yeah. It'd be, yeah, it'd be risky. They're off proning. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as a famous bush camper, I'll tell you that it does indeed work on Sandhawk. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, you do have to be careful, of course. You have to pick the right bush, and you probably have to keep your weapon down. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing about this map is that everything's fucking furry. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like everything's covered in green shit. And so I feel like even if you're not fully exposed, you know, the thing about bush camping is that you take advantage of the brain's inability to process too much visual information. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you're running through the map and you can't inspect every bush closely. And so mm -hmm. you just look at a hillside and you're like, all right, that's fine. There's no one there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think people underestimate like how well hidden they remain. Mm -hmm. But having said that, like when you bush camp, you do, you need to make sure that you actually do kill everyone who comes near you because like I've had this happen so many times where I'll, I'll be like, I'll stop and I'll met up behind a rock and I'll, and like 20 feet away, there's someone bush camping and I'm like, motherfucker, you know, like, mm. and it's kind of like, like, what are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. like you had a chance to kill me and I don't, you're just hiding. Yeah. You know? So you, you really got to make sure that you actually make it count. That's when you need the silenced SMG, right? Yeah. Because I could see how people wouldn't want to take the kill just because they're more worried about the other people around and they're hoping you'll just move on and like get killed or kill someone else. Um, so it's kind of a more of a sneaky move. Yeah. But if you have a decent silenced weapon, you know, you can probably get away with it for the most part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, so, okay, so coming back to the central focus of this question, you know, it's kind of an age-old question of, like, do you edge it or do you go for the middle? And I feel like, I definitely feel like the edge doesn't feel safe to me on Sandhawk the way it feels on some of the other maps. I mean, it's never fully safe, but I feel like I definitely agree with Dallas that there's just there's always a lot of action on the edge of the circle and there's always a lot of people rotating on sandhawk mm -hmm. and so in a way it kind of it does recommend trying to do some middle play but i feel like the caveat here is that 
you can't just dick around in the middle on Sandhawk. Like, I feel like you really need to have a plan. You really need to, like, stake your claim. Mm -hmm. You need to find a position that you can actually defend. Right. That's it. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Sandhawk is definitely, like, compound-wise, uh, less strong than Aaron Geller and Miramar. Because on Aaron Geller and Miramar, you have compounds where you have, like, a lot of walls around them or just the, the buildings, how they're, you know, built, like, the, the, the layout of them allows for more defensive gameplay and you know it's very easy to hold whereas on sandhawk i mean you know a couple of molotovs a couple of grenades and your whole building is gone like you just have nothing left to sit mm -hmm. totally so unless you're keeping people at bay i mean mm -hmm. yeah you're kind of just stuck there yeah it's interesting because I, I feel so claustrophobic in buildings in sandhawk there's some like i i would never opt to go into a building in endgame i don't know if that's a bad thing or not but I just feel like it's so easy to get pinned down um, and not really have an escape route. It, yeah. I don't know. There are some compounds that do have walls that I would feel more comfortable being in the compound behind the wall and not inside of a building. But far and wide, I, I like to just be behind a rock in the woods. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think you can do that in the middle of the circle in Sanok, but I feel like you really... You do need to watch your angles. And I feel like if you're playing in a squad mm -hmm. on Sanok, just anywhere on Sanok, I feel like you need to actively be like, like we need to cover all of our directions all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, because like yeah. you, you will get rotated on. Like mm -hmm. it happens every game. Um, I feel, you know, I, I feel like you need to like actively, if your teammates are in a fight that it seems like they can at all handle, you need to actively be covering your flank you know like don't. yeah you definitely need that flank watch exactly as, a, as like a position per se like mm -hmm, i totally. hate to bring up positions because even in competitive most teams don't necessarily have like positions besides maybe like a scout and an igl obviously but yeah you definitely need to have someone always watching your back if you they don't need you for the fight because otherwise some of their team be like hey there's some shots over there let's go kill these guys totally you know yeah it just it's just happened to be too many times you know yeah and and it's really it is very different from Miramar and Erangel. Right? I feel like it happens like a third of the amount of the time that it happens on Sanok or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and part of it's just the density of Sanok. It's so easy to get close without being noticed. Yeah, Agreed. true that. So much cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we fully answered that question, but we at least discussed it. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's one one other thought I'd like to say, which is. I don't think, I think position on circle is important in terms of middle or edge, but I think what's more important is whether you're on the side of the circle where the majority of players are, mm. which if the, if the circle's right in the middle, it doesn't matter because people are probably coming from all directions. But if the circle says on the northeast corner of the map, then you can pretty well bet that the northeast side of the circle is going to be quieter than the southwest mm. where people are all rushing in. Good call. And so that's my go-to is to go to the further side, if that makes sense. So get up there, find a quiet place that you can hunker down and just let people sort themselves out for a while until you have to start playing. So, mm-hmm. Good call. Yep. All right. Well, let's dive into some current events in PUBG. Um, first of all, I just wanted to 
readout, a correction here. We were talking about analog movement on the Xbox last week. And one of our Discord members, uh, the One Heart, made a comment. He said, I think there might still be a bit of confusion over the analog control update. It's not analog versus digital. WASD movement only allows for eight directions of movement with the left stick at 45 degree intervals. The switch will allow us to move the player with the left stick in a full 360 degrees, just like the right stick or your mouse always could. So that's really what he's talking about uh, and, and what analog movement is. It's, it's not so much that there's this gradation of how fast you can move mm. with the stick, but it's more that um, you can actually like, you know, you can walk at any degree on the 360 degrees spectrum. Mm. And, it, and I think that was a good distinction for me is just realizing that it's basically what we're doing all the time with the mouse like those little adjustments interesting yeah so you know i <laughs> clearly you can tell that none of the three of us play on the xbox <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> i just i just wanted to throw out that clarification okay there. yeah um let's talk about patch 19 all right this yeah. is i actually forgot that this was going to come out I know this they, patch. they announced it about a week ago like oh we're gonna have a big patch after the tournament and then i just forgot about it but yeah this is exciting we just got the notes for it today and there's a couple things that stick out to me um but yeah the first one would be bullet penetration definitely that's kind of the biggest deal um so it looks like it's applied to arms and hands arms if you shoot an arm and the line of the bullet goes through the arm and hits the part of the body a different part of the body whatever part that was hit that takes more damage will be the points the hit damage acquired right right so if it goes through the arm and hits the chest then the chest damage amount is is applied if it goes through an arm and hits the head then the head damage amount is applied if for some reason it goes through the arm and hits a leg then the leg damage is applied if the leg damage is more um right. and hands no longer have hit boxes <clears throat> which is awesome yep so yeah. i mean i guess it's i kind of would prefer it's good them to be bad, like though. hit but then the greater one takes a damage but if you shoot a hand and there's nothing other, there's no other body part behind it, there's no damage given. Oh, um, really? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I don't hands know how just I feel don't about take that, damage anymore? Yeah, shooting, if you shoot just a hand, there's no damage given. Whoa. Yeah, if you okay. shoot a hand and their head is behind it, their head is still hit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't I, know about I, that, because I've definitely had some days where I've shot, you know, people in the hands to get them to move out of cover. <laughs> and that's definitely helped me a ton. But, mm, I mean, you know, yeah. I guess you kind of have to adjust with it yeah yeah i feel like it should you know it should do that small amount of damage you know like shooting people in the feet does mm -hmm. right? yeah um i do overall though i'm really glad they did this because it it solves that problem that happens a lot in this game where you're like you know i i shot someone dead on and all of my spray hit them and they killed me why did that happen right and you know oftentimes it was just because yeah maybe you hit them with seven bullets but if five of those bullets hit them in the hands you know mm -hmm. then they're not gonna yeah, the die damage is yeah so little yeah yeah so I, yeah I'm, i expect that spray kills will go a lot faster yes generally it'll feel like your bullets are hitting and you're you're getting the damage you should i wonder if it's gonna feel like people like everyone dies faster mm. Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, my I'm I'm wondering if it's gonna feel a bit more like Rainbow Six, you know? Yeah. Like people go down pretty quickly in that game. Yeah, minus I mean the headshot damage is insane in that game. Yeah. But Yeah, that's true. Um one thing I'm kind of sad about is that shotguns don't have bullet mm, penetration. Yeah. Through the hands and arms. So that kinda sucks. I, I didn't realize <laughs> it was for the hands too. It's too bad because I was I, I just want the shotguns to be totally destructive, right? Just Yeah. Yeah, but it looks like those are still going to hit arms and feel kind of nerfy. <laughs> I agree. Mm-hmm. I like they would have to really push the shotguns a lot to make them like OP. You know, mm-hmm. I I wouldn't mind if they had the bullet penetration. It's kind of amazing. It's it's the one besides pistols. It's the one class of gun I would say that we'd never see in Endgame. True. Right? Like, SMGs are there now, especially in Sanuk, with the Vector and the Ump, and DMRs, of course, and Sniper. Like, every other weapon class that I can think of offhand is there. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like they need a buff, and and this would be one way to do it, but this is great. Totally. All right. Um, Let's see. Uh, Another thing that I'm excited about is that They've made some drastic improvements to the inventory system, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been bitching about this since I started playing this game. Mm-hmm. You know, like, think about how many times you're, like, trying to take a red dot off your gun and you just can't, right? Yeah. Like, you try like, to and it, it opens up Excel and it's like, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I know you have to go to the file menu, right? Um, <laughs> But yeah, so it just they've they've just made a lot of sensible adjustments here. I, I won't read through all of them, but you know, basically, it just kind of um, one highlight here is that if you press Alt while right click clicking a weapon, it'll detach all attachments on that weapon, which is what? sick. Yeah, I that's didn't sick. But that. if you don't have an inventory room for it, they just fall to the ground. So you yeah. have to be careful of that. Totally. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot more, like, when we're getting used to this, we're going to be like, wait, where did my eight-time scope go? And then you just have to remember that it's on the floor. Dude, I'm going to need a cheat sheet for a while. Where did my suppressor go? <laughs> Dang it, it's back where I took the, got on the body. Oh, yeah, dude, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if they've solved the hill eating your, your gear bug, you know? Yeah. I've never even seen that one listed before. Like, as a bug. I... Uh, I've never encountered it myself. Oh, really? I, I'm glad I haven't. Oh, dude, I've I've seen it all too many times. Mm. I I, th- I think I'd probably just quit the game at that point. <laughs> I'd probably just be like, all right, guys, I'm done for today. Come on, have fun. Okay. Yeah, f- five minutes later, we see you popping up in that game that must not be named. Yeah, you know, no, you know what? Maybe sorry. we should just read nope. through all of these these little commands they have for us. All right, do, yeah. do us the honors. Robin. All right, so. The first section is dropping items in stacks has been improved, and there's three subpoints. Uh, quantity can be adjusted using a slider. That's sick. That's awesome. So if you all, or if you control right click, or no, control left click drag will do it, and so will control right click, say on a box of bullets in your inventory. Then you have a slider, and you just, and it works for pickup as well. If you're doing, if you right click something um, while holding. I, I don't use that. Never mind. I don't know. Basically, <laughs> well, hold on. So alt, alt left click. 
I'm trying to remember all the ways that you can you can activate um, a variable amount, mm-hmm. and well, yeah. So I think it was so, like Control Right Click to yeah. like type in the number before attach. Yeah, and can if you or Control, control Left Click Drag, drag. Yeah, or exactly. probably Control Double Click. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's yeah, three different fair. ways you could activate that, and it works for both picking things up and getting things out of your inventory. So yeah. if you do say control double click on something on the ground, the slider will will um, appear and you can slide it and decide how much you want to pick up. It'll default to half of the quantity. Their example on the on the website is fifty five out of out of one hundred and ten, and their slider is not in the middle for that for some reason. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you're so right. That's hard. You know, it's so weird. Okay, it is hard. <laughs> And so alt key plus left mouse button immediately drops the full stack. Which is what? Click dragging. Yeah. Why would you do that? Weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, Alt key plus right mouse button now drops half the stack. Which is sweet. That's That's cool. Okay. Yeah. I feel like, oh yeah, here's half my ammo. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yep, Exactly. That's, that's great. Okay. Good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll 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 quiz you guys at the end of the show. <laughs> alt right, alt right mouse is dropping half the stack. Okay, alt left mouse is dropping the full stack. Got it. Okay, and then next we've got weapon attachment management. When replacing items has been improved, removed or replaced attachments will now drop onto the floor if there is no room in your inventory. Okay, makes sense. When attaching directly from loot, replaced attachment will be dropped on the floor if there is no room in your inventory. Great. When replacing an extended magazine with a quick draw magazine, the extended magazine and overflow ammunition will be dropped on the floor. So that's interesting. Um, that means that you'll drop 10 bullets when you're switching out an extended mag uh, mm-hmm. for, for most weapons. I wonder, it doesn't give the caveat that your inventory is full on this one. Yeah, exactly. I think so. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's going to drop it no matter what, which is interesting. Huh. And, it, you know, semi-realistic, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. When detaching an attachment by right-clicking, the attachment will be dropped on the floor if there is no room in your inventory. Pressing Alt while right-clicking a new weapon detaches all attachments on that weapon. Attachments will be sent to inventory or dropped on the floor if if inventory is full okay yeah which could be nice if you don't really need attachments you know like you're switching from an sks to a uh car 98 right you know you you probably won't need many of those attachments so you can just like just detach them all hopefully i don't know in what order it drops them but hopefully it puts the ones you need in your inventory and then you can just pick up the car 98 and put them all back on easy Mm, i'd be curious to see like maybe it drops like scope and then barrel and then down the line left to right but i don't know yeah that is an interesting point like which which does it save? I wonder if it's random yeah. or if there will be a system. Yeah. I hope there's a system because then you at least know. Okay. Right. These ones will be in my inventory. Is it worth or is it not? Yeah. Yeah. I totally agreed. Um, I I feel like this is gonna make loot and care packages a lot better. Mm. Like that's that's mm-hmm. a situation in which I'm like almost always just like want to like get all my shit off my weapon and switch it out as quickly as possible right exactly god alt right click that's so good yeah it's gonna be sweet oh yeah especially for something that has like four or five (laughs) different attachment slots seriously oh it's so nice okay 
All right. We can also That's... mute people. You can mute people on your team now, which you can do by hitting escape. And it's one of the menu options is now, I think, team management. And you just click on the speaker next to their name and they will be muted. Yeah, dude. Now check this out, Robin. Your wish was granted. If I you, know. If you scroll down a little bit, I know. you can place map markers without opening the map. This is amazing. Yeah. Thanks, PUBG. They listen Thank to you, bro. I know they listen. They don't always listen, but, you know, they do call me time to time. Robin, and, I miss you. Yeah. Actually, they're not giving their number. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. This is kind of R6 style marking. Actually, it's it's straight up R6 mile style mm. marking. By mm. far the best improvement I saw this morning while I was playing the test server patch. Did you mm. play with teammates this morning? Yeah. So I was playing, I played a mix of duos and, you know, three man, four man squads okay. all the way throughout my uh, stream because they, they don't have solos or duos. Mm -hmm. I guess I'd lower the player base into one match ranking to make it easier. Mm hmm. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's just like R6. You just hold uh, Alt, right-click on whatever, and as long as there's a solid object in the area, you can mark. From what we could tell, I marked over a kilometer away at the farthest. Yes! Dude, that's sick. I don't know whether that'll be changed the next week, you know, or what they'll tweak, but it seemed to look really good. And then, then you know, people that would say, right there, well, you can mm -hmm. say, mark it, and then right there is an actual call-out. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. you can say, like, oh, is, right there, great. yellow. Yeah. There you go. There's so your call-out. Okay, so what key did you use to place the marker? Like, how did um, you do so it? So you, so you hold your uh, left alt button. Okay. And then press your right click. Oh, okay. Got it. So oh. I might end up rekeybinding that. If they allow us to, I didn't look at the settings yet. Um, I might try rekeybinding that to a mouse button. I think that'd be super easy and oh, efficient. That's, like, not a bad idea, but the cool thing about the alt right click, I get you could do it with another mouse button, too. But when you're free looking, you can mark something to your side. Yeah. Like, so oh, that is, yeah, makes that is it nice and cool. easy. So yeah. if you're running and you're like, oh shit, someone's on our flank. I just think making a mouse button makes it more easily accessible, especially if you're, like, if you're like scoped in and you're in the middle of a fight, you can just say yellow mark, mark it while you're shooting the guy. You know? Yeah, that's sick. That kind of a thing. Yeah, you can make and it. And like, like just look in that general area around the mark for the guy. Well, yeah, that's interesting. So I wonder if you're like scoped in, you're already right clicking. So I wonder if you're scoped in and you hit Alt if it places a mark. Mm. Yeah, I didn't actually test that out because I was scared to. <laughs> I was almost always fighting when I was scoped in, so I, I, like, it just didn't come up in my mind to try it out. No, I would make, to make sure usually it's if it's Alt plus something, you have to hit Alt first and then do the other thing. But I don't know. Well, of course, there's the added complexity of if you do like the hold to scope instead of Ooh. scope toggle. Then, That's a good point. You know? Right, which is what I do. Yeah. About. yeah. And the yeah. one issue there is, just like there is sometimes in R6, is when you end up marking the spot, if you mark it like where their head is or where they're possibly peeking, it could be sometimes be a little hard to see the guy. So generally you want to mark either like above your target a little bit uh, or below them, just a little bit, good call, just that dude. you're not in the way of shooting, like so that you have your target in sight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So does this mean if you place a marker on the map, will people now be able to see it on the world? Yes. Okay. But when you, or I should say, if you mark it from the map, they do not see it in game. Okay. But if you place it in game, it does move your world marker around. Okay. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's true. The screen could start to get busy, you know? So, you might yeah. have to, so like... you just want to be careful with them. Yeah, develop etiquette around that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I feel like this is going to mean... I feel like it's going to mean that uh, squad games, or, like, any games except solo games 
I feel like the competition's going to be a little spicier now, you know? Mm-hmm. It's、Agreed. just going to be so much easier for、Easy、people. Easier call-outs. Exactly. So you got to expect that. You know, like if you start shooting at one person a ways away on Miramar, like their teammates are probably going to return fire a lot quicker than these. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this combined with the bullet penetration actually might speed up the pace of battles a little bit.、Mm. Uh, I definitely think it favors those that are very well communicated as well as hitting their shots. Yes. More often than not. Yeah. Because I, I know that hitting hands was a big thing that would make me get mad. In、mm-hmm. previous updates, so、yeah. that, that I'm very happy to see that come out. Well, and here's something that's interesting: is I actually I think this is maybe lowering the bar for communication skills because you don't have to be that descriptive anymore. Like if I、that's、had to、true. make a call out before, I had to know the coordinate and then use a landmark, right? All of which takes a little time, and not everybody is is either good at that or takes the time to do it. And so this just makes it super easy. And I feel like it's kind of cool because I, I I think it makes team playing a little bit easier for everybody,、mm. and so we we might see just general coordination improve. Agreed.、Mm. I, I think it's nice just for playing with people that you necessarily don't play with all the time, or even just playing you know with, if you play random squads or what, whatever you decide to do. It、mm-hmm. allows for easier communication because there's so many different cards for some buildings and whatnot. You can just say, "Oh, this building." Sorry, I, I, I mean, you could say like whatever your callout is, right? But、yeah. even in the game, like I was still just calling it out like I normally call it out because that's just what I'm used to at the moment. Like I throw a mark on it occasionally,、mm-hmm. but I ended up just using the callout more than I even used the mark. Yeah, so it's definitely takes get some getting used to, and I think a different keybind on the mouse might help me personally、mm-hmm. to use it more. Yeah, definitely. Oh man, I wonder how, like, if you want to mark a window, which of course is going to be really useful, it'll mark through the window. It will, okay, but I'm, I'm just imagine like if we're watching a house, let's say as a squad, and we know there's people in there, we might choose windows to just like designate ourselves to, like, oh, I'm gonna take this one, like, I'm gonna watch this window. You watch、oh, yeah, the other one. Good. If you would want to place it right on the window or right above it, just because you don't want to block your view, right? I don't know. I think it would be best、like、to develop a system of like placing it off to the left or the right,、mm. just to avoid. You know, say you're looking at a two-story building, you don't want to accidentally think someone's like, "Oh, you're watching the one above or below." You know, you have that like, you can't really decide whether it's the above one that they're watching the below、mm, one. You have to like, take that extra second to like, clarify that. Yeah, but if it's between two windows too, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's catch twenty-two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now this next point, I'm really stoked about too. That、uh, dead teammates can now put markers on the map. Yes. That's a huge fucking improvement,、yeah. man. It really so is. So annoying. That's、yeah. so amazing because I, I imagine. I mean, when I die, I always want to mark the map right away if people don't know what's going on. Totally. Yeah. It's、oh, like, yeah. I mean, I know in scrims it's gonna be huge because you always, if your ideal dies, right, he can't mark anything on the map. But you're like, oh, where do we go? Where do we go? You know, right. He's trying to explain. Okay, go. You know, here, and you're just throwing down markers, hoping that you guess the right one. Right. Usually, I just say on my X. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's usually the case, but not always. And just to just to clarify, Soko's、uh, lingo here: the IGL is the in-game leader for anyone. Oh, who, yeah, sorry, guys. Know that. So yeah, yeah.、Um, I don't know. There's a bunch of other updates here, and I I don't want to get stuck in these too long. No, I think that those are the main ones I wanted to hit. There's dynamic weather coming to. Arangol and Miramar, awesome.、Mm-hmm. They added a few features on Arangol. Yeah, I, on yeah the map. Just, not too many. Some structures. Yeah, yeah、mm-hmm. the biggest one、bit. was the one they showed in the patches at the military base. That's about that's the biggest one. Was,、mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were just a few houses here and there. 
Yeah, totally. And then just another interesting thing that stood out to me is that they've added some presets to the custom matches, and one of them is early access. And so they actually, this is like old school. Whoa. You get level three helmets and clothing spawns back. That's and awesome. Yeah, item spawns are more scarce, blue zone damage is weaker, and there's no jet skis. So I just thought that that Whoa. was a cool mode. That's kind of cool. That, that could be a good little nostalgic throwback. Totally, you know, little cool. retro PUBG. It's nice to see them throwing in presets because there was just one before. Yeah. I think I'd rage more often than not playing it, though. <laughs> Man. Dang it! Clothing instead of a gun. Gosh, dang it! Oh, dude, I Blue know. Hole. I'm not sure that I'm I'm missing that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the clothing I don't miss at yeah. all. Yeah, <laughs> picking um, up instead of that vest that was on top of it. And then another one that I love is that they decrease the volume of vehicle sounds when you're in first person, which is just like Ooh, hallelujah. Amazing. You know, so I was just playing Goodness. with someone who was asking for that. Yeah, recently. So <laughs> yeah, that's appreciated. So anyway, there's a yeah, there's a bunch of other fixes. I would highly recommend that you read this patch. I think most players will see something on this list that's just like a godsend, you know. So um, yeah, I really hope like this is one of those updates that's not that flashy, but I think it's actually going to make people a lot happier. You know, like Soko was just telling me earlier, like that you were like kind of getting tired of this game and that this patch was actually the patch that like excited you again yeah i mean it just it, it changes everything up you know it gave me a lot of things that i've been kind of you know I, I miss from other games like the spotting from r6 you know i i are very used to that in that game and when i didn't have it in this one mm-hmm. it just made call outs you know it, yeah it, it's a struggle when you can't when you know you're in a forest you see five trillion trees you, you, you can't really call out tree like it's true. It doesn't, it doesn't really work, you know. There's so many. It's you're still having to scan the area. It doesn't really help too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to play some squads and put that to use. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. All right, y'all. Well, let's move right along oh yeah just uh one other quick thing wanted to give a shout out to the basic bro he uh told me today about intel is doing a highlight clip challenge and so basically they're asking for people to submit clips of their play that are presumably you know amazing or entertaining or whatever Um, And they have different categories. So there's best snipe, there's best vehicle elimination, best vehicle trick, best grenade law, best team revive, and funniest moment. Mm. So, and the deal with this is that you you record your clip and you upload it to YouTube or or Jiffy Cat. um, And then they're they're giving out prizes for people who win in all these categories. So you Mm. can get yourself a sweet gaming PC. What? Yep. Could use that. Exactly. That sounds, oh, I know so, what I'm doing for the next week. Exactly, dude. So, you <laughs> know. Taking that motorbike and jumping over everything. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get either a funny moment or an awesome, awesome stunt mov- moment if you're doing the right thing. So, oh, yeah. 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 So, you know, you could get yourself a sweet PC. So, just mm-hmm. we'll put the link to that in the show notes. So, for more information, just click on that and check it out. All right, y'all. I think it is time for us to talk about Berlin. So, Ooh, baby. 
Um, yeah, just just quick overview of this tournament. It was a four-day tournament. The first two days were third-person. The second two days were first-person. Now, here's actually something I'm curious about, Soko. Have there been any other major tournaments that featured third-person? So that's the first one in what they call the Western Conference, which is uh, NAEU. As far as I know, I don't know about South America, whether they included that or not. Okay. But all the NAU, or NAEU, sorry, um, have been first-person tournaments, and they've all, well, I should say they all, a lot of them, or a few were invitationals at first, but a lot of them have now become, you know, you qualify through, you have to make sure that you're the best, you don't just get invited because you have a big org backing your name. But most Asia teams, do they do have both third-person and first-person leagues. Okay. Uh, OMG, the team that ended up winning, uh, they did. They actually compete in a Chinese first-person league, and then the people that won third-person Genji Gold, uh, they actually compete in a third-person league over in Asia. I think they were Korean. Okay, so spoiler alert is that China basically number one. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> EU is yeah. number two in both. <laughs> yeah, and North America just got spanked. Mm. Yeah, you I know- mean we did good. I think the third person tournament we actually had fourth, what, third or fifth, third, fourth or fifth, one of the three, okay. I think, and there was an NA team. The mm, third yeah. person, but first person, yeah, we were on the lower ends there. Yeah, which is I don't know that kind of surprised me. I thought that North America would be like a bastion of first person play, you know. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it's partly partly some of the teams that ended up making it in to the tournament itself uh, just really played very well during the qualifier but then mm. just did not show up for the main event. Yeah. Um, Team Gates, for example, played amazingly through the qualifier, came through first in NA. You know, they, they just played out their asses completely. Then they played WSOE, the Invitational from Awesome. They came in, I think, dead last in that tournament. Damn. And it, it just tanked it in Berlin as well. They, I don't know whether it was like too much confidence for making it you know, first in NA or what it was, but I... Yeah, they just did not show up at all. Hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately. It does. I've noticed that, that it seems like a lot of this highly, like the ultra competitive play, it seems like there's a lot of fluctuation, you know? Like, and I don't, you know, I don't know if that's just like a reflection of the, you know, the random nature of the game or if it really is a reflection of just like how well your team's clicking on that day. Uh, you know, like the confidence level or, or any of that kind of stuff. I'm I'm curious about that. Yeah, I think it's partially kind of both sometimes. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, you can always get that hardship circle and have to make it through so many teams, you know, eventually something's going to cave. But, right. I mean, you have, got, you have teams like FaZe and Liquid. I bring them up because they're, they're constantly one and two in almost everything. FaZe, who unfortunately didn't make it through the event, Obviously, but in every other tournament, they've taken first or second, I believe. I don't think they've had any other lower positionings in any of the tournaments so far besides PGI. Mm, Okay. So, yeah, consistency. It seems like that's been my my kind of thought about the competitive scene is that if you can play consistently, you know, that that's like a real boon Mm. for you. That's going to pull you through more than Mm -hmm. having like big swings, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. But so let's let's get into this a little bit. The the main kind of thing that we were wanting to do here is to try to glean a difference between like casual play and competitive play, or basically to try to learn what these pro players are doing 
that really stands out from just like what your average squad in in PUBG does. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I made some notes on this, and I'm sure that you guys have your own observations. But the first thing that I really noticed was that it seems like these pro teams place such a high importance on positioning. It seems to me like they look at the map and they're like, like we need to get into position pronto. And I've noticed that teams hold positions as well. And I feel like this is something where, like when I'm playing in casual squads, I feel like my team will have a tendency to just kind of like, just kind of wander around and you get bored and you're like, oh, I heard shots. And so they give up their position. <laughs> and there's just kind of a lot of this faffing about that happens. And I noticed <laughs> like in these pro games, I noticed like a team, they'd pick a spot, they'd go there, they'd set up camp and they would not move until they needed to. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you guys think about this? Well, I think when you're playing for like hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's like a good idea. And if you're, playing because you're trying to have fun it might not be <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true but you know i am kind of in more of a try hard mood lately and so maybe i should take a page out of that book yeah i think that that it, i mean it seems to pay off it, it, that was a very common strategy from the bit that i did watch uh nobody was moving around a lot people would find a spot for, like it, it could even be a kind of mediocre spot i mean usually they'd try to get a decent one and then they would just hold it until they absolutely had to move yep. yeah and i think that this highlights a point that you often make robin which is that you're vulnerable when you're moving in this game mm -hmm. and i think especially when players are such good shots and when they steady their weapons so well mm -hmm. it's like like if you're running across you know a field 200 meters away and someone spots you they could just down you in in the one second that it takes you to realize you're getting shot right yeah. and so i think they know they know this like the pro players are like you know we we just we can't get caught out of position we're going to be dead instantly right and so i've noticed that there's a lot less running as well i i feel like players are basically either holding a position or they're driving in their vehicles right which I was actually surprised at how much vehicle play there was on this. Like every squad that had to move a significant distance or even short distances, the the squads would usually try to get a vehicle per person. Yes. Right? And so there'd be four, four people in four vehicles just racing across the map to get to a spot. And oftentimes that didn't work out, but they, they were kind of betting on that more than running through the open. Which, yeah. you know, I could see why they would. Um, there were definitely several car explosions that I saw, <laughs> yeah. but that's just the risk. <laughs> yeah, so that's like a really common thing in just any kind of more competitive PUBG is that your first priority almost always is getting vehicles for your squad because mm. it allows you to hold so many more of the defilades that are in the map to allow for more natural cover if y'all look, you know, because compounds. What's a defilade? There's only so many. A what? So a defilade is basically an area where you can either drive into or kind of move your vehicles into position around to allow you to have cover from almost all angles hmm. or to like set up your, like your back against the zone or what, you know, what, what not to allow you to have cover to basically allow you to shoot at anyone coming around you to hmm. try and take out people coming. So you're saying station. like, let's say there's two houses is the death delayed, the gap between the houses. So you'd like fill so the in. The death would be the house itself. 
Okay. Because you can't be shot while you're in a certain position. Okay. Um, but basically, it's just like like any kind of cover that you're like hiding behind, mm-hmm. and that you're not being able to like actually die while in that position. Yeah. You know, um, I, it was so weird. I noticed that some teams would pile up cars, or like park them kind of tact- tactically to provide cover for their squad, and the other squads did not sh- just shoot the cars and blow them up frequently. So the reason they don't do that is because, well, one, it just takes it takes a lot of bullets to blow up a car. And, I mean, yeah. even in comp with the extra ammo and stuff that you get based on the settings that they use, huh. you know, you, you don't necessarily, unless you can confirm the kills that you're going to get from the knocks, a mm. lot of pros, they know the exact, almost everyone knows the exact distance to back up from the car. Mm-hmm. So exactly. more often than not, you're not going to get that kill mm-hmm. or the knock to allow you to push that or move. And a lot of the time, especially when there's still so many teams alive, it's kind of hard to push on something like that because they're usually taking fire from two to three squads at once sometimes, hmm. depending yeah. on the position they choose. So it can make it hard for you to push and you know actually gain back the ammo or you know your utility, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. uh, that you had to use to get those kills. Whereas, I mean, kills are points, but you know position is always... Or, yeah, your position, like what, first, second, or third, will always be better unless you're getting an insane amount of kills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and another point too is that uh, a lot of times, like if someone's in an extended firefight, it's actually, um, it benefits them to have their vehicle blown up because it becomes like permanent cover instead of temporary cover, you know? Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of teams will actually, they'll, they'll finish off their own vehicle. They'll blow up their own vehicle and then pop the tires. And then it just becomes like a rock, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. if, you're, if you're spending your energy like blowing up their vehicle, you could actually be doing them a favor, hmm. you know? Unless, yeah. unless they have nowhere to retreat to, you know? Yeah. Especially in later circles. Right. Where they don't have to actually like rotate too far. They're like, okay, permanent cover. Knock out the wheels so you can't be shot from under it. And they right. have, you know, a nice big US. Totally. Huh. Does the car sit lower if you blow it up? No, only if you pop the tires. Yeah, you sit, but can you, can you pop the tires after you blow it up? Yeah. No. I don't think you can. So that's you, the thing. No, it's like I, w- that... I watched someone do it. I watched them do it. Yeah, so uh, I always thought that they basically became static with the car at that point. Hmm. No, yeah, I watched someone like they they blew up their vehicle and then they popped out the tires afterwards. Yeah, so I don't buy it. So like if I I would blow up the car because the car still sits high, so you can shoot under it still. So it's not like the rock. I could see how a team would want to shoot out their own tires to make it more of a rock. But to me, it's just worth it to shoot a car and blow it up, especially if if you if the squad is near it, just just destroy it and you know it's they're gonna you're gonna make them have to move and retreat which they might be getting hit from multiple angles anyway so even moving you know eight feet back from the car is potentially going to expose them to other other risk um yeah and then comes the next point is like uh, a lot of pro teams will use smokes hmm. so my favorite clip of the whole thing was during the uh third person tournament actually as, as disgusting as it is for me to say <laughs> Abiza, one of the, I would say probably the top five best players in the in the game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, absolutely insane. Uh, sm- uses smokes to get in a line from point A to point B. I don't think he made it where he actually wanted to, but he was able to out survive. I think at least two to three other teams to push Team Liquid up a few more spots in the rankings to mm. gain just a few more points. And the way he did it was completely masterful. Wow. Um, I'll have to like try and find the clip. So. Of it. 
you mean he like he threw like a successive line of smokes to make like a wall that he could run through mm-hmm and he did just like one by one and he would slowly do it too so as mm, like the okay. smoke behind him was fading he was throwing his next one to be uh, able to move through too i see uh, and he was dope. able to evade a team for quite a while that just could not find him or spray him down through the smoke mm-hmm. and it was it was absolutely amazing because no one and none of the other team had frag grenades i think it was ghost that was trying to kill was him. there any gap between the smokes so, did you know so he actually he blended the smoke in a little bit together Whoa. So he overlapped it just enough to where he could run through without being seen. He must seen have had a lot of smokes. <laughs> I think he had. I think he used seven to nine smokes. No way. Wow. Yeah. So smokes Whoa. are huge. They will pros will generally take those over a, a frag grenade because that could mean an extra placement or two. Whoa. Or it's, I, you know, it's it's essentially a line of cover. I saw yeah. a lot of frags in this too. Yeah. yeah. No, those are the two most common. You're mm-hmm. right, though, Soko. I also noticed like such tactical smoke play and. I was really blown away. Like it just, I just noticed people using smokes in so many situations that wouldn't occur to me, you know, and just, just things like, you know, like they'd start to take fire from a different angle. And I feel like a lot of players, like if you're engaging with one squad and then you start taking fire from another angle that you're not well covered from, a lot of players will just panic and try to fight two fights at once. And Mm -hmm. I noticed that a lot of the pro players, they'd just like, chuck a bunch of smoke down and be like fuck you second angle like try to shoot us through the smoke and then they'd finish their other fight and i was just like that's so cool you know Mm. i I agree it's it's amazing because yeah you can spray through it and whatnot and yeah occasionally you'll get that kill but you know it's almost like that no man's land of okay i don't know where you are but you don't know where i am so i'm just gonna kind of chill here and what are you going to do about it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if you have a frag grenade, you can throw that, but that's if you can guess. Like, if you have multiple smokes out, that's a pretty big area to try and frag someone. Yeah. yeah. And chances are they'll survive unless you get lucky on it. And you have to be close enough to frag it. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's just the whole thing, like, if you're wasting your time and your bullets spraying into smoke, that's time that other teams can be, like, flanking you and headshotting you, and you know what I mean? So it's a pretty significant disadvantage to be, like, scoped in and shooting when you're not, like, actively shooting at someone. It's like you can't actually waste that much time doing that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely made me want to just, like, think about more creative ways to use smoke, for sure. Let's let's talk about this. Yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of explicitly say this real quick that I also think in addition to holding positions people tend to have they tend just to be much more conservative about pushing other teams like it's really I've noticed that players and teams will really not do it unless they're forced to Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean not, not always like I've definitely seen teams do like a concerted push but it just seems again like there's so much more putting a premium on holding a good position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And another thing, Soka, did you notice, did teams tend to have a favorite spot on a map that um, they would like go to? The little okay, bit that so I saw that from the, the commentators, it seemed like they were saying that, that like, oh yeah, up here they go, they're going to their spot, like down on the Southern coast or whatever. Yeah, so when they're looting, uh, most teams will generally have like their spots saved out for them. So like uh, mm-hmm. phase, they they always leave the milt of power area, that mm-hmm. that whole like little south uh, east region. Mm-hmm. That's where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, liquid, they loot Yizna every time. Knights, they loot shelter, prison, mansion area almost every time. Mm-hmm. 
and almost every single pro team in any game, uh, Genji Black and WCSG, they both love South George. Those are their favorite spots, and that's where they're going to go. And the problem with being competitive is, especially when you bring in these other regions, like, oh, we might have the same living spot as these people. What's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's where, I, especially with, the, I'm going to highlight this because this is what they actually did, was Black and WTSG, uh, both South George teams. What ended up happening was WTSG took the where the sixes, the north and south sixes are. Mm-hmm. Um, they took that whole area. And then Genji Black uh, were very smart. They took the southwest part, like that square of George Pool that I, I don't really think I've ever dropped there. And they took Hospital and Crates. So they kind of boxed them in a little bit. So that when WTSG tried to rotate out, if it was a more eastern circle, they kind of had to take some fire from them and be a little bit more careful on that rotation just so they didn't get tagged up too much. Hmm. Just because they were, you know, in that box per se. So that, you know, that's where international play really comes, you know, a little clutch because you got to kind of either stake out your claim or find somewhere else that, oh, none of the teams like going here. Let's try looting this spot instead. Mm-hmm. But you're sacrificing your own looting patterns to do so. Mm-hmm. And, you may not know the vehicle spawns as well, which most of these guys know the vehicle spawns all over the map, so it wouldn't really matter. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just not the same as they always do. It's it's also interesting to me that the teams would prefer to drop in a spot that they weren't going to have competition in, right? Because that would show real confidence to me. It, it seemed like they were hoping not to run into people, right? Like everyone's kind of hoping not to run into other teams. And that the other teams will take care of it, which is kind of how I play too sometimes. <laughs> and it's interesting to me that they they wouldn't be like, well, you know what, that kind of weaker team drops at this spot all the time. Why don't we just <laughs> drop there, stay tight, and take them down at the beginning, and then have so that spot. That mentality I've noticed that uh, in the South American region, uh, hmm. way back in I think February, the Star Ladder tournament, um, you had Luminosi who had Technosh and some other South American streamers. They mm-hmm. formed a streamer team. What not? They were very aggressive early game, and they're like the prime example of why early game fighting just isn't good if you're you know trying to do that. Um, you know, obviously taking pot shots of cars and stuff like that. That's you know everyone should do that because you're staking out. You know, you letting people know where you are. Mm-hmm. But directly trying to head on a team early on, number one damages your placement because if you know you make a mistake, they get the upper hand. Whatever happens, mm. your team goes out twentieth. You're getting zero points. Zero kills, right. you know, if you're killing the other squad. Yeah. You're jeopardizing your whole day, your league, your tournament, whatever it may right. be. Yeah, so the chance of getting a high will, placement after losing an early, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so generally people will try to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why teams will, I don't want to call anyone on Twitter, but some pros will uh, complain about being hot dropped on. As I know, I think Ramson talked about it as well. When you guys mm-hmm. had him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um. But, yeah, you know, they'll complain that people will hot drop on them. And honestly, I mean, you got to expect that. You got to be ready for it. You need to have that secondary strategy. Okay, if people are here, we're grabbing the cars from here. We're going here. Yeah. Yeah. One way or another, we're finding somewhere to loot. We're moving the circle way too early to get multiple compounds to split loot, whatever you need to do. Right. Because, you know, in the end. Yeah, if you drop, if you know where you're dropping, you need to have a plan for being hot dropped on. Right. Yeah. So. Well, and I, it does kind of annoy me how I feel like teams in the past have like cried these crocodile tears about like, 
like, oh, you know, people are being so unsportsmanlike and hot dropping us. And, you know, there's like this stupid, like, gentleman's agreement that, that certain people and certain teams seem to have laid out, you know? And yeah. I just, and I, I feel, I have no time for that shit, you know? <laughs> I'm like, you, you just got one upped, dude, yeah. you know? Like, someone yeah. just owned you and you feel sore about it, you know? But I couldn't agree more. I feel like, you know, especially if you're dropping in the same fucking place all the time, like you must have thought about a backup plan for like a hot drop, right? I mean, yeah. I just like, I don't, it doesn't even compute for me, like why you would think that you're just going to get that place to yourself every time. Right. You know? It, and I think it is just because it, it at, at the moment, uh, and teams are starting to like kind of pull out of it a little bit, but it is that gentleman's club where you're just oh, everyone's being all nice and pretty. But then you get these teams that come through open qualifiers, right? And they yeah. kind of, you know, they're, they're brand, you know, they're, they, they may have played other tournaments, they might have played other leagues, but they're not like, you know, in the spotlight all the time. So they're not super well known. So these teams don't really know what to expect out of them. And some of them just want that highlight of killing that, you know, their favorite pro player, whatever it is. Mm, yeah. And that's what I love about it. Like TSM, they got hot dropped on, I think it was during the PGI qualifiers, actually, actually, and that's what didn't let them get in the close qualifiers. <laughs> Whether they would have made it in there, anyways, we, we don't know. It's all speculation at this point. Well. But you know, they they you know were a little mad about it. Talked about it on Twitter. Phase, I don't believe it was. I don't know if it was the same tournament or not. But one of the tournaments, they got hot dropped on as well. They destroyed the team that hot dropped on them. They were just like, no, you you can't come into our loose spot and expect to win so mm-hmm. in that case they were ready they were like okay we have a plan people drop on us for doing this this and this and mm-hmm. we're just going to collapse and kill them all that, yeah. that just sucks for them they made the wrong decision they yeah. just gave us easy points yeah because i have noticed too it would be if they don't have a plan it could be really easy to take advantage of them because people will drop fairly far apart from each other in their spot to get all the loot right mm-hmm. which you know i guess it's efficient but super dangerous so you have I, to I agree. Have I think if you see people in the sky, you got it. Yeah, yeah, group up a little bit. Yeah, you might not be as loose at first, but if that allows you to kill other teams and you know, right. get no, all right. these team members, it's yeah. gonna help you later in the game and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed this that like teams in these pro tournaments are like they're very, they seem to to be very clear about like when they loot, where they loot, how long they loot. And it's something that it does actually kind of annoy me in casual play is that you get these teammates who are just like, oh, I'm just going to wander off by myself for five minutes looting, right? <laughs> and like, they're just, you know, they're just kind of in la-la land, like looking for that SKS or looking for that long range scope or whatever. And what I noticed in these tournaments a lot is that like, you'll see a player in the mid game without a sight on their gun, you know, like, yeah. I'm seeing these pro players running around with like an M16 iron sighting. And it's like, <laughs> and it's just because like, they were prioritizing doing things that were more important than like fucking around trying to find a red dot, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, more um, of not finding a position in the circle or getting a vehicle for their team or whatever it may have been. They yeah. Were doing something and it, it really, it reminded me that like looting, I mean, yeah, like looting is important in this game, but there are so many other things that are also important. And I think that a lot of players spend the first 10 minutes of every game just like in loot mode, you know? As if, yeah. like, that was the thing that most guaranteed them winning. And I mean, I guess sometimes it can. Occasionally, you know, if you get a crate, that level 3 helmet. I mean, it's going to be pretty important, but, you know, say someone else has an all. That, that, you know, that 10 minutes you spent trying to find that crate that was out in the water for, you know, a kilometer away 
was it really worth it to just die to someone else that had an arm to break through it? Exactly. Or like, you know, if you end up in a bad position or, or you're just an idiot, you know, then, yeah. <laughs> you know, that extra gear is not going to help you that much. Right. So, Agreed. yeah, I feel like it just, it reminded me that like, if you actually want to win this game, then you actually need to like, you know, set your priorities. And I think that that's, that's what I see a lot of these pro players do is that they're constantly looking at the circle, they're being like, where's going to be a tactical position and they're not just thinking like where's going to be a tactical position one minute from now they're thinking like the entire arc of the game right yeah and that's something that i i find myself kind of soapboxing about a lot um in squads is that people will say oh let's go here you know like that's going to be a good spot for the next circle and my question is like yeah but is it going to be a good spot for the circle after that you know what i mean like mm -hmm. You know, like if the circle shifts to the other side of the map, like is that still going to be a good spot? Right. You know. Yeah. Or where are we going if it does? Like, in, yeah, in the totally. Event it does you know prepare for the worst? Have have like a few bad compounds. Some that a lot of comp teams will do is that they will uh, select. You know, okay, if circle goes north, all right, we're going here. We're going to crash it. Uh, if there's people there, we can try going off to this. You know, the, a lot of people pick like a, a compound and then like a natural cover as well, mm -hmm. unless they like the natural cover better. Some teams do prefer it. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone kind of has like their little spots where that's their A plan, their B plan, and then otherwise they're either crashing or they're like some teams. Um, and this was in PGI especially would actually go outside into the blue to rotate in on the other side of the circle just to guarantee that a there's probably no one there because you know obviously you're wasting your meds, your utility to get around, and it's just a little bit easier. Yeah, you're taking a little bit of damage, but if you don't have to deal with anyone on that side of the circle to get into a different spot across the map, you didn't have to cross through six teams to get there. It's probably worth it. I like that. It's just it's the kind of shit that you just don't often see in casual play, you know? And that's that's what excites me about watching these tournaments. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the difference between third person and first person play. Because you know, that like when I was watching these, I was like, how does it, how is like a third person match different in this mm -hmm. hyper competitive scene? And I, you know, I have to say, I wasn't really that surprised. Like, I found that when I was watching the third person games, that people were playing more conservatively and like waiting longer to move in, not doing as much pushing, not doing as much rotating. And that's just because proning and looking around works really well in third person and mm -hmm. it doesn't work at all well in first person so <laughs> you know i mean proning has its place in first person as well you know you always have those snakes and as long as you can see through the grass you have a good angle but yeah third person it's just you know you can see all around you it's that 360 degrees of being able to see without having to turn your body to you know maybe expose yourself a different way totally. but it also allows people to you know just literally lay down in a room in a compound or on top of a roof that has like the little ledges of mm -hmm. the garage buildings, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you just sit there, wait for someone to come walk by and get the trust, you know, get the little bypasser, you know, instead because no, he couldn't see you, but you could sure hell see him, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I mean, it, you know, I, I could go off on this, but it's one of the reasons I don't like playing in third person mm -hmm. is that I just feel like it leads to a lot of this kind of cheap campy behavior. Exactly. You know? Yeah, camping in first person at least is somewhat equal, right? Yeah. Like if they're gonna yeah. camp and spy, then you can spy them too. 
Yeah, at least they have to peek you to see you. Exactly. They yeah. can't just sit behind the rock and ho- I mean, they can, but they, they won't know you're coming. Yeah. Or they'll be relying on just sound cues. You're right. And if you saw them run behind it, you know, you could just pop out that. Which sound cues? I try over. to use sound cues when I'm hiding behind a rock. And mm-hmm. I have the hardest time telling which side of the rock they're going to be coming around mm-hmm. when they get close. Yeah. It's yeah, really split in the hard middle, to tell. It's hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes people like go one way and then they change their mind and go the other way instead, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to like rag on third person because I know that it's just a different play style and ev- everyone has the same benefit. You know, so it's not like it's an unequal play style. But I do, I enjoy first person more because I just feel like it's riskier and I feel like it asks for more tactics. And I feel like your decisions like going prone is a big one or like camping a house, like really do have more consequences in first person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I noticed this in general, actually. I noticed a lot more proning going on in like in both modes when watching these tournaments Mm -hmm. and i actually wasn't so convinced that it was the best thing for these players to be doing in certain situations like Mm. i watched plenty of players proning and just having someone run up on them and just own them you Mm. know from behind Mm. Um, which surprised me i didn't expect to see much of that in in like it's such a high stakes pro tournament Mm. so well, I guess I'll kind of touch on the reasoning of that. Is um, so basically in those situations, generally you have less. I'd say probably two or less players in, a, in most of the time. So you're basically just trying to do damage control at that point. You're like, all right, we got to get a little more conservative. We can't take as many shots. You know, we kind of just either gotta like we gotta let people know we're here, but we don't want to challenge them per se. You know, mm. you, you don't want to have risking one knock and then they had said to push, you know, it's just one before guys possibly. So they always want to be careful of that. And especially when uh, proning on the outside of circle, it's late game, you know, they're just trying to snake in to get those extra placement points, you know. <laughs> Sometimes they'll end up taking the shots on people, but, it, you know, it's a risky thing. If they have four people in the squad and you can only spray down two, you better be finishing those knocks because that's probably the only points you're going to get. You're not going to be able to finish the rest of their team mm. because they'll just collapse on you. That's and a good the best point. you can hope for is those kill points. So you're basically just playing damage control at that point, and that's why a lot of teams will do it. So it's, it's just for the hope that somebody will die before you do that from getting pushed by another team so that you'll at least get a bit higher on the leaderboard. Right, okay, so they've given up basically on on winning or like getting any more kills necessarily. Like they're just, they're just trying to place higher. Yes and no. I mean, like uh, Larson, WTSG, uh, the same game that Ibiza did his amazing smoke play. Larson, while Ibiza was doing that smoke play, actually snuck out of that same compound, went farther south. Um, he ended up snaking his way all the way into the final circle. Uh, he ended up killing off a squad of two, I believe, making it a 1v1. I, I think that's how it went down. Something like that. Uh, it was in the second day of TPP. And uh, he ended up killing the last guy. Uh, but because it was TVP, they were sitting behind two haystacks staring at each other for a while. So it was kind of, it was just like that really tense situation, just waiting. <laughs> and I think it almost took away some of the tenseness from the situation. Like it would have been a much better in first person, in my opinion, just to watch from a mm. viewer's perspective. Just because I think you, you know, you would have had the peak back and forth. You would have had the shots going back instead of this. Okay, I'm gonna wait for the circle to come in at the end, going towards the middle, and whoever has to move first kind of loses. But Larson had to move first. Yeah, he landed the shots first and killed the guy from uh, I think it was made in Thailand. So, mm. okay. Yeah. yeah. 
that you do raise a good point that like as a spectator sport the perspective really matters you know yeah um, it's a big deal i think yeah and i i agree i just because you're right exactly it's like when it's first person you have to do that peaking battle right like mm -hmm. and like whoever peaks like if you peak and someone else is like holding their red dot on that side like you might get a headshot right but you need that information and so like that's such an interesting face-off you know in first person yeah yeah i mean it's just i, I think it makes the viewer experience a lot better you know you, you get to like oh yeah they're trading shots Ooh, oh my gosh took a headshot you know yeah and especially with i, I thought a lot, of, a lot of the commentators you got some really great commentators commentators in the competitive scene and they just make it so much more enjoyable for everyone and even the loot phase where it's generally kind of quote-unquote boring <laughs> i mean they make it entertaining because they're giving you background on a lot of the teams why mm. they choose to loot there how they might have been doing in other tournaments what they've been doing in the meantime between tournaments that kind of a thing and they're just very knowledgeable on the topic it it, it makes it a lot more fun to watch the beginning of the game and as well as making tense situations or you know just big team fights seem a lot more than they actually are mm. mm -hmm. yeah dig it um well do either of you guys have any other kind of broad um observations that you've made about this tournament or kind of takeaways i think i've hit most of the points i'm into so nice yeah i don't really either i think i'm i'm trying to think of just the quick takeaways to bring to my own um try hard play mm. which mm -hmm. is basically for me it's it's actually since i watched a little bit of it when i play sonic i've been dropping the exact same spot several times just to get a really good sense of the of that particular location. And I think I want to keep doing that, doing little studies where I'll just drop the same spot for a whole day, basically, and kind of see how it plays out. And it's it's fun to kind of control the variables when you play and, and hone in on certain things. So I think that makes sense. Um, being conservative and getting into... I like what you were saying earlier, Arjuna, about not going into say a compound inside the circle where you're going to have to move for the next circle. And so distilling that into a rule, I think is choose a location where you think you're going to have it for two circles, right? Like mm. this one and the next one. So, mm. but yeah, that's about it. I didn't watch a lot of it. So yeah, but I'm glad you're here, Soko, because you got to fill yeah, us in on a lot, man. I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. I love talking about all the cop scene stuff. It's yeah. amazing. And yeah. Just, yeah. There's, there's so much to talk about, you know? Um, I feel yeah, like go on we, for could, hours. we could do <laughs> much more of this. Um, just another takeaway that I really got from this was that I noticed, I mean, okay, this is like a, an obvious thing to say, but I just noticed people playing with more focus and I think that like, it's easy in this game to just start spacing out or to start like, you're just like having some silly chat with your friends or you're just dicking around or you're stun grenading each other or whatever. <laughs> and what I noticed about these pro players is that, you know, they'd be like, they'd be like, okay, I'm crouched behind this rock and they'll spend five minutes crouched behind that rock and they'll, they're just like vigilant the whole time, you know? And they're looking around the whole time and they're moving and they're like, they keep scoping in and scoping out. And it's like, they're just not, they're not lulling themselves into that feeling of like, nothing's going on right now, you know? And I think that that's really something that, I mean, you know, it's, 
if you are playing for fun and playing casually, it's actually like you're gonna have less fun if you're just like vigilant and not talking and and like scoping the same you know fifty trees like countless times. Clearly, it's not as fun. Um, but I do think that that gives you a much higher chance to win. And so, you know, that was something that I took away is just that kind of like pro-focused attitude. And I think I would like, you know, in each play session, I would like to play at least a couple of games where I'm just trying to maintain that the whole time, you know. And I think it would be fun to get a squad, you know, like Robin's talking about, where we're just like, okay, we're going to try hard for a couple rounds, and we're just going to try to do all of this due diligence stuff. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to try to make all of our decisions be the right decisions and. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to play very, very carefully and see how well we do. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's it's something to experiment with, you know. Obviously, it's good to have a little, you know, dicking around session with your friends and, you know, shooting each other in the back a little bit, <laughs> shooting press shots, shooting out their tires <laughs> as they're driving, you know, a little thing. Uh, but uh, it's definitely fun to, you know, try hard, get that win, you know. As, as stupid as it sounds, every changer just feels so good. The uh, first one obviously feels the best by far because you're like, yes finally did it that's the one but every time i get a win i, I still smile mm -hmm. every time yep. seriously yeah it's still the best win in video gaming as far as i'm concerned yes you know? oh agreed Definitely. i've never felt the same yeah 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 all right y'all okay so our challenge mode this week it was recommended by heathy keithy and we're calling it or i think he called it the iron price and so the idea is when you land you can loot one weapon from the ground but nothing else no armor no grenades nothing and everything you loot from that point has to be from people you have killed um or from care packages now i i don't know if if you actually have to kill them it just says from the dead and so i think that means if you find a crate you can loot it if you find a dead person yeah. you can scavenge maybe yeah. i'm thinking you have to kill them yeah, it depends on how hardcore you want to get, Let's right? go with the hardcore mode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. guess there's your casual and your hardcore, right? Yeah. So if, you you find, if you find the bodies, you can loot them, but if yeah. you kill them, I mean, and you can just change it up. He made a cool video explaining it, and uh, the rationale for looting from carry packages was that you you either already paid it, the iron price, to get to the carry package, right? Like you had to compete with someone to get to it, or mm -hmm. you're about to pay for it because someone else is coming after it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> so I agree with that. So this sounds super fun. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention about customs is I'm mixing it up a little bit, and I have decided that I want to use that time on Mondays to try something a little bit different. I know we've talked a bit about starting to kind of focus on squad play a little bit more with the podcast community. And I definitely am just going to take a hard turn in that direction and start trying to kind of fulfill my, my dream squad dreams. So the idea <laughs> is on Monday nights, if I'm inviting everyone to show up and we'll probably form squads that we might just hold for the whole night. We'll see how that goes. But I think it's more important to have consistent squads than it is to have like a certain dynamic within a squad. Um, and the idea is I just want, I want that to be a time where we experiment and try hard. And, um, you know, I'm going to be bringing ideas for different things I want to try. Uh, two examples would be 
I want to try formations and the way that the squad is organized and the way that the squad moves through space when, when movement happens. And I also want to try defaults. And what I mean by defaults is that people in the squad might have a default cover area that they're, that they're covering so that that kind of communication doesn't have to happen on the fly, but people already know what they're doing um, in, in certain situations. And so there's going to be a little bit of like description at the beginning at, um, from whoever the in-game leader is. And I'm really encouraging other people who want to do this type of play to um, come and try their own ideas. So definitely will be some rotating leadership uh, for people who want to do that. And I haven't decided if I'm going to kind of do that by default or if, or if I'll just keep it open and people can leave if they want to. But I do like the idea of people testing out um, their leadership uh, style. So yeah, Monday nights, I'm probably going to do it at six o'clock like usual and plan on a three hour session. So if you guys are like looking to get more try hardy and um, kind of formalize the squad play uh, strategy stuff, um, I definitely want to play with y'all and we can, we can just form squads depending on how people show up. So hope to see you there. Nice. It sounds to me like, it sounds like you might still be running customs, but just like in a very focused way. But I plan on joining public games. Okay. Yeah. So if more than four people show up though, what are you going to do about that? Then they can, we'll just form two squads and I I probably, I'm not going to be, I don't want to manage a whole lot if we have say like four four squads worth of people Mm. the managing i see myself doing in that situation is to just kind of let people fall into different squads and people will naturally probably want to play with other players and um maybe set a little bit of the script in terms of how we can use this time and and what what types of things we can do with it and beyond that i want the squads to kind of figure it out on their own um so I'll probably, um, yeah, I, I know there's a couple of people I've played a lot with, and so I'm going to be probably hitting them up and, and keep kind of fostering those relationships. And I encourage other people to do the same and, and to use the, the podcast space as a place to do that and to start kind of honing. To me, it's, it's not just about honing squad play generally. It's also about honing um, play with a particular set of people. And so that doesn't mean I'm going to like avoid other players, but it does mean that I, I want to figure out how some players tick and how I can work with them well. And I, I think that, you know, naturally does mean I won't be able to play with everyone as much on, on Monday nights, but I want, I want people to kind of start farming squads and that naturally will, will cut down on the, the rotation and interaction between like the, the larger community, but you know, we'll still have other custom nights for that. And this is just kind of more of a focused space that I'm I'm dreaming of. So, sounds like a good way to get some uh, inner custom uh, tournaments going on as well. So yes, yeah, like yeah. absolutely. That's where I would hope to go with this. Ultimately, is like after a month, it's like, all right, let's let's. That's uh, what we learned. Let's yeah, exactly. Let's cut our teeth with some some tournaments, and we can get the drop zone people over, and yeah, we can show them his boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I can play another 200 hours, and if I work hard at it, I might be able to improve my aim, right, a little bit. Like, if I really <laughs> work hard, but I probably won't. Like, I've been playing about 1,000 hours. My aim's not going to get a lot better. 
<laughs> but what can get better is my teamwork and and how I move with the squad, which takes mm-hmm. a little bit of planning and coordination. But I guarantee that if if people focus on teamwork and coordination instead of on on the kind of the details that we usually do, that they're going to see the biggest gains and improvement from that. And so that's why I'm focusing on it. Preach, brother. Preach. Yeah. yeah. Love it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, you know, my last two Tuesdays, uh, custom nights have both gotten shut down because of server maintenance. Oh. So I, fuck it, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to do it this Tuesday. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just, I'm going to look out for another opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, might be Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm going to be playing it by ear this week. So I'll make an announcement in the discord. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just, you know, like we're shifting around a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that uh, Skills and Thrills has been kind of talking about tournaments and DCM has been talking about tournaments. And I know that Sokola, not to put you on the spot, but I know you've been talking about tournaments too. Yeah, I've actually been looking into that a lot and I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah, good. So, um, you know, so so perhaps this means that, uh, you know, winner, winner, community is going to take a bit of a competitive turn for a while Mm -hmm. and maybe we'll start just in general organizing our collective time a little bit more around that Mm -hmm. and see how that goes i would love that i'm kind of excited about that yeah because in in customs customs have kind of taken a dive too with them being uh, available to everybody yeah that's true so i just i think it's more the assignment that like everyone's like oh yeah now we can just pick our own customs okay customs aren't as cool anymore yeah yeah (laughs) exactly i i mean i'm not as excited to play them as i used to be Mm -hmm. you know agreed even though now we have way better settings that they just gave us (laughs) it's a shame it's a shame yep yeah have you guys tried doing battle royale customs much like i did the first day they don't fill up they don't yeah that's, that's what the i problem thought. is that you just can't there's so many people that want to do something their way yeah that unless you have like the amount of friends to do it or mm-hmm. you know whatever it may be it's just because the problem is people don't want to wait and yep. even when you're waiting and you get people that want to wait you can wait for quite a while and not right. have it fill up depending on the amount no, of people I, get, and that's what so. i've been seeing too and and i'd rather just focus on on getting better in the public space with the game so yeah all right. So, yeah, just pay attention for that in our Discord, which is there's a link to that in the show notes. And that's the best way to get plugged in with our community. And, you know, we just we make so many announcements on there and there's so many more opportunities for you to get involved in what's going on here by joining that. So even if you're not on the PC, I recommend getting plugged into the Discord. We've got a lot of Xbox players there. There's a lot of mobile players. Um, so, yeah, a lot come of players. Say again. I say a lot of mobile players. Yeah, man. Almost every day we get people talking about it and it's nuts. It's really happening. So, you know, don't be shy. Come show up. And who knows? Maybe you'll end up being a mod. Um, <laughs> we, we also have an Xbox club, which is, you know, if, if you do just want to hang out with Xbox people, join our Xbox club. Search for Winner Winner on the Xbox clubs and you'll find that. It's, uh, it's also a good place to be. We have a subreddit. Link to that in the show notes. You can always email us at winnerpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon as well, and people have been very generous to us lately in the Patreon. So if mm-hmm. you're feeling like you'd like to join those ranks, there's a link for that 
also in the show notes. And Robin, tell us about the spiffy new music that we've got going oh, on. Thanks for the hint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the new music is by Spiffy Man. And just before we close out completely, uh, since I mentioned that I'm focusing on squad play, if if there's if you guys um, have enjoyed playing with me or you feel purposeful about um, having a really kind of organized and and maybe what's the word I want um, deliberate squad play then definitely hit me up I'm interested in people who are interested in that so if you're interested like discord me all right, all right. and finally I uh, just wanted to thank you Soko for being on our show it's been really great to have you dude um, I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about so you know we'll probably try to get you in on another future episode if you're down um, yeah, I'd be happy to. It was amazing. Yeah, so, all right, so Sokola, where can people find you on the internet? So you guys can find me in the Winware Podcast Discord, of course. I'm almost always home during the days, nights. I, I work very odd schedule, so I'm probably on whenever you're not. So whenever, <laughs> hit me up. Uh, you can also find me streaming on my own personal Twitch channel at uh, twitch.tv forward slash Sokolar, S-O-C-O-L-A-R, those of you who uh, don't know how to spell that. And uh, yeah, either way, you'll probably be able to get in touch with me. All right. And, you know, I just reiterate, Sokol is probably one of the most highly skilled players that I see in our podcast, in our Discord. So, you know, if you're like, man, I'd really like to get a chicken dinner and you see Sokol on there, like, hit him up. He'll, he'll do you right. <laughs> um, so, all right, guys, that is going to do it for this week. And we will look forward to catching you guys next time. All right. See you out there. See you guys.